This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show. It's Zoomer Radio's Theater of the Mind with Frank Proctor. Open your mind as we fill your head with amazing thrills, chills, <laughs> and laughs. Theater of the Mind, the best love programs from radio's golden age, only on Zoomer Radio. Now, here is your master storyteller, Frank Proctor. Well, thank you, and welcome to the show. Now, we begin tonight by featuring a comedy. Now, I must admit, this was my error, as I usually have a drama or a Cops and Roberts program, but by the time I realized it was too late to correct the situation. So, my apologies to all the fans of the serious programs. I'll revert to our regular bill of fare next week, okay? However, the first program we hear tonight is one that features Dean Martin and Jerry Lewis and their story of how they achieve success. Well, it's rather compelling. In 1945, Dean Martin met a young Jerry Lewis at the Glass Hat Club in New York City, where both men were performing. Martin and Lewis debuted at Atlantic City's 500 Club on July 25th of 46, when Lewis suggested to the club's owner that Martin would be a good replacement for the scheduled singer who was unavailable. The duo were not well received. The owner, Skinny D'Amato, threatened to terminate their contract if the act didn't improve. Well, Martin and Lewis disposed of pre-scripted gags and began improvising. Martin sang, and Lewis, dressed as a busboy, dropped plates and making a shambles of Martin's songs and a mockery of the club's decorum. They performed slapstick and delivered a vaudeville joke all the way to great fanfare. Their success at the 500 Club led to a series of well-paying engagements along the eastern seaboard, culminating with a run at New York's Copacabana Club. The audiences, well, they were convulsed with laughter by Lewis interrupting and heckling Martin while he was trying to sing, and ultimately the two had them chasing each other around the stage and having as much fun as possible. And when did they get into radio? Well, an NBC radio series commenced in 1949, and it lasted until 1953. Also in 49, Martin and Lewis were signed by Paramount producer Hal Wallace as comedy relief for the film My Friend Irma. Dean was thrilled to be out of New York City, a place he had developed a lifelong discomfort for, and he also was not a fan of tall buildings. Even when his success allowed him to lease an apartment in a Manhattan high-rise building, he chose one on the third floor. Their agent negotiated for them one of Hollywood's best deals, they received $75,000 between them for their films with Wallace, a respectable film salary in the 1940s. Martin and Lewis were also free to do outside films, one a year. It was also through these endeavors that Martin and Lewis earned millions of dollars. Well, let's hear the show where their guest is Jane Russell. Hollywood, the National Broadcasting Company, brings you transcribed the Martin and Lewis Show. Our guest tonight, Jane Russell, featuring Flo McMichael, Sheldon Leonard, Ben Alexander, Dick Stabile, and his orchestra, and starring Dean Martin. That old 
black magic has been its spell. That old black magic that you weave so well. And Jerry Lewis. Ah, yes. And once you had me in your spell, my darling. Remember that summer that we fell in love? Every night we'd go to the drive-in theater and neck. Until that terrible evening when the manager told us we'd have to get a car. Well, as many of you know, Dean and Jerry have bought a garage, which they're converting into a nightclub. With the opening night only two weeks away, we find them in their office, hopelessly entangled in a mass of details and unpaid bills. Oh, Jerry, where did that secretary go to? Florence sure has these bills in an awful mess. Why don't you stop that daydreaming and help me try to straighten things out here? I can't help daydreaming, Dean. Gee, in another week, the club will be open and the money will start rolling in. Boy, will we be rich. Every day I'll drive out to my golf course, play nine holes, kiss my caddy, play another nine holes, kiss my caddy. Oh, wait a minute, Jerry. Kiss your caddy? Sure. I'll be so rich I'll have Ava Gardner carrying my clubs for me. <laughs> Oh, that's wonderful. And tell me, Allie, what's new with Rita? Ah, <laughs> uh, now, look, if you aren't going to help, Jerry, at least find Florence for me. What a secretary. Where is she, anyway? I don't know, but don't bawl her out, Dean. I think she's about ready to quit anyway. Remember the trouble we got into the last time she quit? Yeah, we didn't know whether we were standing on our heads or what. Maybe you didn't know, but I knew what I was doing. I was standing on my head. <laughs> Ah, oh, Jerry, don't be an imbecile. You don't know what you're talking about. I'm an imbecile. Do you know what I'm talking about? Well, of course not. See, you're just as imbecile as I am. <laughs> well, Jerry, you might as well face it that we're helpless without... Hello, Mr. Martin. Hello, Mr. Lewis. Now, Florence, where have you been? Well, uh, the decorator's hanging some drapes out in the club, and I was just giving him some hints. Oh, that's good. Did he follow him? No. He just went on hanging the drapes. <laughs> Florence, I don't want you to think that I'm bawling you out about your work here in the office, but about the checks you've written, let's see, they total $784. Now, how much do we have in the bank to cover the checks? 97 cents. <laughs> you see, Dean, it just balances. <laughs> well, this kid belongs in Congress. All right, Dean, I get it. You're mad at me. Jerry, I'm not mad at you. Oh, yes, you are. Oh, stop that. What makes you think I'm mad at you? I don't see me in your eyes anymore. Well, don't blame me. I told you to get a haircut. I know who you're both mad at. Me. You're hinting that I don't keep your books right. That I'm losing your money. Now, Florence. I'm not efficient. The next thing I know, you'll be saying nasty things to me. But, Florence, we're your friends. You see? There you go. Oh, come on, <laughs> Betty Davis, please. We appreciate you, Florence. Really, this is the first time your books have ever been in the red. Oh, now you're accusing me of being a communist. <laughs> that doesn't. I'm quitting. Goodbye. Gee, Dean, now we are sunk. The opening of our club is only two weeks off, and we're counting on a secretary to help us. 
everything seems to be going against us, and we're going to lose all the money we've invested in the club. What? Everything seems to be going against us, and we're going to lose all the money we've invested in the club. Now, Jerry. Anything like it every time we try. Take it easy, Jerry. Now, smile. Go ahead, smile. No. Now, blow your nose. No. Now, there's nothing to be upset about. All we got to do to get a new secretary is to put an ad in the paper. And they asked for a new secretary? Sure. Oh, boy, a new secretary. Hey, I got it. How's this? Wanted. Beautiful, luscious young girl to be secretary to beautiful, luscious young executive. Object? To set a new record for the -the around-the-desk chase. (laughs) It's not going to be anything like that, Jerry. I don't want an attractive girl who will keep your mind off of work. The ad should read like this. Wanted. Efficient secretary. Must be plain-looking. Dressed simply. Prefer a girl with glasses. Now, go ahead. Run on down to the paper with that right away. Go ahead. Put it in the paper. Hurry up. Me run down? Yeah. What about you? I'm too run down as it is. <laughs> I'm too run down as it is. <laughs> oh, that was a swifty. Jerry, I'd be glad to take the ad to the paper, but uh, right now I've got to rehearse that production number we planned, remember? Oh, sure. How did that go again? Your lips tell me no, no, but there's murine in your eyes. <laughs> Sing it, old man. Your lips tell me no, no, but there's yes, yes in your eyes. I've been missing your kissing just because I wasn't wise. I'll stop my scheming and dreaming. Cause I realize Your lips tell me no, no But there's yes, yes in your eyes Come on over here, honey I ain't gonna hurt you Let me talk to you Your lips tell me no, no But there's yes, yes Right in your eyes well, I've been missing all your kissing Just because I wasn't wise Well, I stopped my scheming Stopped my dreaming Cause I just realized Well, your lips no, no. But there's yes, yes in your Dean and Jerry are hoping for some response to their ad for a secretary. On the other side of town, a leading movie producer is awaiting a conference with his star, Miss Jane Russell. Come in. You uh, wanted to see me, Mr. Johnson? Oh, yes. Come in, Jane. Well, Jane, I'll come right to the point. It's about your next picture. You know, you were such a success in that picture, The Pale Face. How would you like to do another picture with Bob Hope? 
Bob Hope. Yes, Bob Hope. Oh, please, Mr. Johnson. Don't they need a leading lady for Mighty Joe Young? <laughs> now, look, the studio has bought a story in which you play the part of a private secretary. I don't think you should take a real job as a secretary for a couple of weeks to get the feel of the part. But where can I get a job as a secretary? Well, I've got the answer to that, Jane. I hear in the paper it says, um, wanted, efficient secretary, must be plain-looking, dress simply, prefer girl with glasses. You think that describes me? <laughs> of course not. But we're going to have the makeup department braid your hair in pigtails and give you some horn-rimmed glasses. <laughs> Well, okay, Mr. Johnson. Oh, by the way, who will I be working for? Well, the name in the ad just says Martin and Lewis. Martin and Lewis? Mm -hmm. I better pick up some track shoes, too. <laughs> well, anyway, here's the address, Jane. And be sure you disguise yourself enough so that no one will recognize you as Jane Russell. Hmm. You know, this could be really fun. I, uh, I guarantee you they'll never recognize me. Well, Jerry, our ad for a new secretary came out in this morning's paper, and I... Hope we get some results soon. We've got lots of work to do if we ever expect to open our nightclub in two weeks. Yeah, I'm really excited. I know we asked for a plain-looking girl, but wouldn't it be wonderful if we got a beautiful girl with dreamy blue eyes, luscious lips, and... Gee, maybe that's her now. Come in. Here I am. <laughs> What's the matter, kid? I was expecting a glass of champagne and I end up with a bucket of Clorox. <laughs> well, bottoms up. <laughs> Sophie, what brings you over here? Well, I just got this morning's paper and I see where you guys are advertising for a secretary. Oh, no, your eyes may be blue, but they're not that dreamy. <laughs> no, I wasn't talking about me, kid. I just thought that maybe I could help you boys out, you see? I happen to know a few girls who could uh, handle this job. Oh, you do? Yeah, yeah, I do. I'll uh, <laughs> just thumb through my address book here and I'll see what I can find for you. <laughs> well, nothing under the A's. <laughs> Good idea, Sophie. Maybe I ought to look at my address book for a secretary. Yeah, right. Wait a minute. I'll thumb through mine. <laughs> well, kid, you find any names? Yes, but Mother doesn't need the work. <laughs> now, let's get back to my address book, hey? And uh, now, here on uh, page 312, volume 4, a <laughs> uh, cute little number, name of Rita. Yeah, Rita, five feet two. Red hair and D-I-T-B. D-I-T-B? Yeah. Dynamite in the balcony. <laughs> well, uh, what's this one down here? Double. Elaine. O-M-H-G. Yeah. O-M-H-G. Does that stand for Oomphy Miss Heavenly Gan? No. Old man has gun. <laughs> Well, let's see. Here's uh, Joanne. There's uh, Doris, Rose, June, Mary, Sam. Sam. 
Angel. Oh, well, that's just a nickname. How? Oh. <laughs> Full name is Samuel. <laughs> we have here uh, Diane. Oh, Evelyn, say. Now, that Evelyn, that might be a very good secretary for you guys. Yeah, she's not working right now either. Well, uh, how's her shorthand? Well, I don't know, but her legs are terrific. <laughs> She, she uh, used to be a bubble dancer. She used to do a terrific dance, you know. But then one night, there was an awful thing happened. But what was? Well, you see, she was dancing, dancing to the tune of Pop Goes the Weasel. Yeah? She got a bubble tune near a ringside table, and some weasel popped it. <laughs> now, you, you've got the wrong idea, Sophie. We don't want a cute secretary who'll distract us from our work. We want a very plain, efficient secretary. Oh, well, if that's what you want, you are really getting it. Oh, look, coming up the walk there. Ooh, ooh. <laughs> yeah, look at her, Dean. Pigtails, business suit, horn-rimmed glasses, no makeup. She looks like Neptune's daughter at low tide. <laughs> oh, boys, this is your problem. I will see you later. Gee, Dean, you were the one who wanted to hire a plain-looking girl, but this girl is coming is too homeless. I better tell her the job is all filled. Come in. Uh, how do you do? I'm looking for Martin and Lewis. You got the wrong address, lady. Well, I'm an Abner. <laughs> oh, Jerry. Come on in, miss. I suppose you're here in answer to our ad. Yes, you, uh, you advertise for a plain-looking girl with glasses, so uh, here I am. Well, all right. Now, uh, your name is... Um... Jane Russ um, Hockenhaven. Hockenhaven? That's right. Well... I guess if someone had to be named Hockenhaven, it sure ought to be you. <laughs> Look, um, if you don't want to call me by my full name, you can just use my nickname. What's that? Sam. <laughs> Say, miss, tell me one thing. Yes? Are you for real? <laughs> miss, I, I think I ought to warn you. We're opening a nightclub in two weeks, and there's a lot of work to do. Yeah, and you probably won't like this job at all. It's it, it's awful hard, uh, 24 hours a day, going at top speed. Oh, I don't think I'll mind. Oh, but I'm a tough boss. I'm a dynamo. Why, why I don't think anything of working my fingers right down to my secretary's bones. <laughs> you know, uh, you'll have to forgive my partner, miss. He had a very tough time last night. He was thinking. He was thinking? Yeah, and today he's got a Charlie horse in the head. Look here, Dean Martin. I don't have to stand around here and have you tolerate me. No? Absolutely not. I can always sit down, you know. <laughs> Look, Miss Hockenhaven, I think you'll do fine for this job. Thank you. Now, wait a minute, Dean. Don't let this poor girl accept before she knows what she's getting into. Oh, I don't think I'll mind, really, but uh, what are my duties? Well, you answer the phone, sharpen the pencils, type the letters, fill the wastebaskets, keep the books, empty the cash register, file the mail, mail the files, wash my socks, hoist the mangle, lift that barge, tote that bail, and you work from nine to five, eight hours every day except Saturday, which is 31. <laughs> now, never mind trying to discourage her anymore, Jerry. Miss Hockenhaven, you're hired. <laughs> well, okay, I guess Here, Miss Hockenhaven, let me take your bag uh, Gee, it's so heavy What have you got in it? Track shoes <laughs> Well, 
now that we've got a secretary again, you better get to work, Jerry. The musicians are all set up there on the bandstand, so, you know, to rehearse that number I'm going to sing for opening show. You mind? Oh, come on. Oh, oh, gee, gee, I- I'd love to hear you sing, Mr. Martin. Before we start in our work, couldn't we listen to you? I think you're wonderful. Ah, oh, you're just saying that to make me feel good. And it sure worked. <laughs> the song's called Room Full of Roses, and it goes something like this. If I sent a rose to you For every time you made me blue You'd have a room full of roses If I sent a rose of white For every time I cried all night You'd have a room full of roses And if you took the petals And you tore them all apart You'd be tearing had the roses just the way it tore my heart. If someday you are feeling blue and you could send some roses too, well, I don't want a room full of And you tore them all apart You'd be tearing at the roses Just the way it tore my heart If someday you are feeling blue And you could send some roses too well, I don't want a room full of roses. I just want my arms full of for letting me listen to you rehearse, Mr. Martin. I loved it. Oh, thanks. And uh, I, I got to go check on the drapes and the decorations that the workmen are putting up around the dance floor now. Don't you worry about a thing, Miss Hockenhaven. Jerry will show you exactly what to do. Right. Okay, Dean. See you later. How do you like that, Dean? He hires a homely secretary and then leaves me all alone with her. I'll show her. 
Well, miss, guess we better get to work. That's our motto around this office. Work, work, work. More work. You gotta continue to work. And we work a little harder and a little harder. We get things accomplished and we work and work. And we work some more. And then we work. And we work a little more and work, work, work. Well, okay, let's get started. I can't. I just wore myself out. <laughs> Mr. Lewis, are you sure you know what you're doing? Do I know what I'm doing? Listen, brother. No, you mean sister, don't you? I'm sure that nobody'd ever mistake me for their brother. I would, but I'm only 23 years old. What do I know? <laughs> now, I suppose you know all about typing, miss. Well, uh, no, no, I'm not too familiar with typing. There's nothing to it. I'll show you. Come over to the desk here. See, you just bend over the typewriter like this, and you go... That's pretty good, huh? Yeah, I'll say. But doesn't that hurt your nose? <laughs> Wait a minute. You're the one who's supposed to type anyhow. Now, just sit down there and I'll dictate a letter. Ready? Yes, sir. Dear sir, my laundry came back this week with all the buttons missing from my pajamas. If this happens again, I'm going to sue. Because if our house catches on fire and I have to run out... Oh. (laughs) Now, did you get that? Just four words of it. What are they? Are you for real? Am I for real? Why, when a person's for real, it means they're alive and made out of flesh and blood and breathing and living. And as you can see, I'm, uh, I'm, uh, well, I missed that question. Can I stand by for the jackpot? (laughs) Okay, put that letter in an envelope and get it out in the first mail. Come in. Who is it? Hello, Mr. Lewis. Lawrence, it's you. Yes, it's me. Then you've come back? Yes, I've come back. Well, how are things in Capistrano? <laughs> Mr. Lewis, I couldn't leave you and Mr. Martin helpless, so I came back to go to work. But Florence, we replaced you with Miss, uh, Miss, uh, Miss Hockenhaven. You replaced me with her? Yes, she's very efficient. Well, all right, if you prefer efficiency to beauty and oomph. Now, just wait a minute Well, I'm sorry, honey I wouldn't hurt your feelings for the world After all, it isn't your fault if you're the mousy type The mousy type? Now, listen, you just well, a minute I want to... Girls, 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 please stop it I can't blame you for fighting over me But believe me, I'm worth it <laughs> Well, I guess you do need the job, you poor girl those glasses and those pigtails. Why, when I see a girl like you and then look in the mirror and see myself, I say, Oh, Florence, you gorgeous doll, you. Say, you're pretty happy with yourself, aren't you, honey? Sure. Florence is lovely. She's engaged. She smokes talcum powder. (laughs) Oh, so you're on her side, Mr. Lewis. Well, if you two think you can take my job away from me this easy, you're mistaken. I'm going out and talk to Mr. Martin. Gee, she's pretty sore at me, ain't she? Sore at you? Why, Mr. Lewis, you don't understand anything about a woman. She doesn't want the job half as much as she wants to be around you. Well, Natch, after all, can you blame her? Why, I've been out with Lana Turner, Ava Gardner, Linda Darnell, Jane Russell. Uh, you've been out with Jane Russell? Yeah. Sort of surprised you, didn't I? <laughs> you sure did. Oh, boy, what I could tell you about that Janie baby. 
<laughs> well, please do tell me about Janie, baby. <laughs> is she is she really pretty? Oh, she's gorgeous. Mm. You know, I've heard that she's actually sort of plain looking, that uh, you'd never even notice her in a crowd. That's really silly. Why, I'd know Jane Russell if I were within a hundred yards of her. Blindfolded. Jane. <laughs> you really are clever, aren't you? <laughs> but you know, I'm glad to hear that she's so pretty because a few people have told me that I look a little bit like her. You? Look like Jane Russell Are you out of your mind? <laughs> well, don't you think that I look even a little bit like her? After all, at least we're both girls Sure And Stanley Steamers and Cadillacs are both automobiles But what a difference on the way up the Mulholland Drive <laughs> Oh, brother, now wait a minute This has gone far enough You've never parked on Mulholland Drive with Jane Russell Don't kid yourself Why, the last time we were up there She hugged me and kissed me And she even whispered in my ear That I'm the only man in her life <sighs> Jerry, I'm Jane Russell Imagine me the only man in her life Jerry, Jerry I said, I'm Jane Russell Well, which way do boys sound? <laughs> now, now, wait a minute You scared me so much I almost believed you for a second Dean, come in here It's pretty warm in here, miss But you'll be all right in a few minutes Dean, hurry Now stay on your own side of the desk And just take it easy Dean! Jerry, what's the matter? Miss Hockenhaven thinks she's Jane Russell. It's so warm in here, the heat must have gone through her head. All right, all right, I can show you all. I'll fluff out my hair, and I'll take off my glasses and put on a little lipstick. There. Why, it is Jane Russell. Gee. No wonder I thought it was warm in here. <laughs> but, uh, Miss Russell, I don't understand this at all. Well... The studio wanted me to get some experience as a secretary for my next picture, so they talked me into putting on this disguise and applying for the job. Gee, Dean, how do you like that? I was trying to make her work so hard she'd quit the job, and I stood right here in front of her and bragged about having dates with Jane Russell. And I told her how awful she looked. I was complaining about you hiring an ugly girl, and all the time you'd really hire Jane Russell. And, and Dean? What? Boy, did she make a fool out of you. Well, I finally got everything squared around, Jerry. I apologized to Jane Russell before she left, and I finally got Florence to take her old job back. Gee, I'm sorry I caused you so much trouble, Dean. Oh, that's all right. The only thing I regret is that you told Jane Russell all those fibs. The idea, standing right there in front of her and bragging about having a date with her and taking her up on Mulholland Drive. Gee, Dean, I didn't mean to lie. I mean, I didn't mean to lie. I didn't lie. That is... I mean, I didn't know I was lying, because I thought that she was... Well, you see, it's dark up there on Mulholland Drive, and she said... Ah, oh, Dean, let's face it. Face what? Some girl's been making an awful fool out of me, too. <laughs> Good night, folks, and thank you, Miss Jane Russell. Good night, everybody.
Miller Show, transcribed in Hollywood, is produced by Robert L. Redd and written by Ray Allen and Dick McKnight with Cy Rose and Mort Lockman. Next week, our guest will be Cesar Romero. Jane Russell can soon be seen in the Howard Hughes production, The Outlaw. Now, here's a reminder. Tomorrow night's wonderful lineup of NBC attractions includes The Adventures of Archie Andrews, Henry Morgan, and Mr. District Attorney. This is Ben Alexander suggesting you tune in to your NBC station each Tuesday evening at the same hour for the Martin and Lewis Show. Stay tuned for Our Miss Brooks next on Theater of the Mind. Time now for Eve Arden to star in Our Miss Brooks. Luster Cream Shampoo for soft, glamorous, caressable hair and Colgate Dental Cream to clean your breath while you clean your teeth and help stop tooth decay. Bring you Our Miss Brooks starring Eve Arden. once again for Eve Arden in another comedy episode of Our Miss Brooks, written by Al Lewis. Well, for most of us, it's considerably harder to get up early on winter mornings than it is during the summer. But this isn't the case with Our Miss Brooks, who teaches English at Madison High School. Maybe I'm just being perverse, but if I found it any harder to get up early in the winter than I do in the summer, I'd sleep right through the spring. (laughs) That's why Mrs. Davis, my landlady, had such a time waking me last Thursday morning. Honey... Get up, Connie. Go away, Mrs. Davis. Come on now. You told me yourself that you wanted to get up at 6.30 sharp. I was lying. (laughs) I can't understand what makes you so difficult to wake up. Oh, it must be because of my dream. Your dream? Yes, I dreamt I was out very late last night. Oh. You did go out with Mr. Boynton last night, didn't you? I had dinner with the bashful one, yes. Was it an exciting evening, Connie? It was a rip snorter. <laughs> when we got to the front door, Mr. Boynton apologized for keeping me out until the wee small hours. What time was it, Connie? Five minutes of ten. <laughs> of course, by the time he got finished saying goodnight, the way he says it, it was considerably later. What time was it then? Four minutes of ten. <laughs> well, I'd better take my shower and get dressed, Mrs. Davis. All right, Connie. Mr. Boynton isn't the most romantic fellow in the world, is he? So far, Cary Grant has nothing to worry about. (laughs) Well, his coffee was very good, Mrs. Davis. Oh, I'm glad you like it, Connie. Do you know what I put into the coffee grounds to get that flavor? Don't tell me. I want another cup first. (laughs) There we are. You want some? No, thanks. I've been thinking about Mr. Bonington all morning. Why, Mrs. Davis, don't tell me I've got competition. Oh, competition? Oh, of course not, Connie. Why, I'm old enough to be both your mothers. Oh, now, please, Mrs. Davis, you mustn't split up over us. <laughs> oh, that must be Walter Denton. I can tell because there's still some food on the breakfast table. I'll get it. All right, Connie. I'm going out in the yard for a few minutes. I've got to try to fix that incinerator. The incinerator? What's the matter with it? It caught on fire the other day. (laughs) I'll tell you about it when I come back. Should be interesting. You're right there. Good morning, Walter. Correction, Miss Brooks. It's a wonderful morning. A delicious morning. A morning dripping with ecstasy. 
Well, trickle in, happy boy. <laughs> what are you celebrating, Walter? Was Madison High swept out to sea by a tidal wave? Uh, of course not, Miss Brooks. It's me that's being carried along by a tidal wave. A tidal wave of emotion unprecedented in one of my tender years. It's as if I'd discovered a hidden wellspring in the core of my being. You'll find a blotter in the hall closet. <laughs> now, come on into the dinette. I was just finishing a cup of coffee. Oh, I'd be happy to join you in a bit of breakfast, Miss Brooks. Sit down, Walter. How about a glass of milk? Uh, a glass of milk and a few pieces of coffee cake will be fine, thanks. I'm glad you brought your beaming face over so early today. Maybe you can loan me a pint or two of ecstasy. What's it all about? Well, it's Harriet, Miss Brooks. I'm really in solid with her, and all because of a fortunate accident that happened yesterday afternoon. What kind of an accident? Well, yesterday after school, she was in the garage looking for a tennis racket, and her father's car was in the way. Now, you know how finicky old Marblehead is about the... <laughs> Mr. Conklin is about his car. <laughs> I know he doesn't let anyone drive it. Drive it? He doesn't let anybody come within six feet of it if he can help it. He even parks it himself in parking lots. Why, I've heard him boast that since the day he bought it, his car has been untouched by human hands. <laughs> How does he get it lubricated? And if you say by grease monkeys, I'll take away that cake. <laughs> oh, no, he does it himself, Miss Brooks. So you can imagine how nervous Harriet got when she tried to back it up a few feet in the garage and the wheels were turned too sharply and bang, she put a neat dent in the fender. <laughs> That's when I got the inspiration that will forever endear me to Harriet Conklin. What did you do, smuggle her out of the country? <laughs> no, Miss Brooks. I decided to take the rat for what she'd done. Instead of obeying my normal, natural impulse to run like a crook, uh, I decided to face Mr. Conklin and take the blame. Well, Walter, Mr. Conklin isn't too fond of you as it is. I'll say he isn't. He can't stand the sight of me. <laughs> but as I say, Miss Brooks, I was inspired. So I went around to the front of the house, I strode boldly up the porch steps, and faced Mr. Conklin's face, face to face. In the picture, let's face it. <laughs> Sir, I said, you're not going to like this, but the fender of your car has just been dented. And it was I, Walter Denton, who did the denting. <laughs> You've been reading too much Ogden Nash. What did Mr. Conklin say to that, Walter? He said, Denton... I admire your honesty. That's all he said? Not another word, not another syllable. He just extended his hand and shoved me down the steps. <laughs> I knew there was some sort of punctuation. <laughs> but as I landed in the yard below, I felt a warm glow spreading around my heart. I questioned the geographical accuracy of that remark. <laughs> no, it's the truth, Miss Brooks. I saw a look in Harriet's eyes. She helped me up that seemed to say... Walter Denton, I am forever your slave. And you know something, Miss Brooks? That system would work for you, too. But, Walter, I can't be your slave. The Board of Education has a priority. <laughs> no, I'm talking about Mr. Boynton. Now, if you want to get in solid with him, all you've got to do is just what I did. What? Let Mr. Conklin shove me down the steps? <laughs> no, Miss Brooks. Take the rap for some jam that Mr. Boynton gets into. Mr. Boynton doesn't get into any jams. How could I possibly take any raps for him? Maybe a jam could be arranged for Mr. Boynton. Mrs. Davis. <laughs> I couldn't help but hear your conversation, Connie. You couldn't? No, I had my ear to the keyhole. <laughs> Walter, I want you to know that I think you've got a wonderful idea there. Oh, thanks, Mrs. Davis. 
Now, it shouldn't be too tough to figure out a way to get Mr. Boynton into some kind of trouble at school. Then you could take the blame for him, and he'd be so grateful, he wouldn't know what to do for you first. But I bet you could tell him. (laughs) But that would be framing a perfectly innocent man. But it's for his own good, Connie. He's just too shy to realize that you two were meant for each other. Now, it's quite early yet, so before you start out for school, let's all sit quietly and try to figure out the best possible scheme. Swell. We'll all concentrate. I've got it. What is it? I'll borrow Mr. Boynton's cigarette lighter and leave it in the principal's office as evidence. A cigarette lighter? What good would that do? Oh, I forgot to tell you. First, I'd set fire to Mr. Conklin. <laughs> and plenty of time for me to try out the Walter Denton plan for obtaining the gratitude of the object of one's affection. Or as Walter so romantically put it, get him in the jam, take the wrap, and you got him in your pocket. <laughs> anyway, I headed directly for Mr. Boynton's biology lab. And knowing that Mr. Conklin's disposition wouldn't be improved any by the dent in his fender, I glided very carefully past his office. But I guess I wasn't careful enough. Miss Brooks. Whoops. Morning, Mr. Conklin. On our toes this morning, aren't we? Yes, we are. Especially you. It's just that I didn't want to disturb you, sir. Very considerate of you. Now, if you don't mind, Miss Brooks, you can put your shoes on and step into my office. (laughs) There we are. Have a seat. Thank you, sir. As you know, Miss Brooks, I have high blood pressure. Yes, sir, I know. Sometimes when you get excited, your face gets so red, it looks like Uh, a little... Never mind. (laughs) Never mind the little word pictures, Miss Brooks. I know how I look when I get excited. What I wanted to tell you is that I saw you stepping out of Walter Denton's car this morning. Oh? I see you stepping out of Denton's car almost every morning when you come to school, and it rather fascinates me. What does? Well, you see, sometimes I park my car right in front of school. Sometimes a few yards to the right of it, and sometimes halfway down the block. But do you know something, Miss Brooks? No matter where I park it, Denton always manages to pull up alongside of it so that when you get out of his car, you have to slide your body the entire length of my car, making Nick after Nick in the paint job! (laughs) I'm terribly sorry, Mr. Conklin. I had no idea I was so abrasive. Well, it's not deliberate, I'm sure. But every third Sunday when I simonize my car, I I find a little nick here, a little nick there, here a scratch, there a scrape. Everywhere a scratch scrape. (laughs) I mean, I can understand your being annoyed, Mr. Conklin, but... I'm glad. You see, Miss Brooks, to me, a man's car is a most personal possession. As personal, you might say, as his toothbrush. Well, in the future, Mr. Conklin, you can rest assured that I'll make every effort not to bump into your toothbrush. A car. (laughs) Thanks, Miss Brooks. Oh, before you go, there's one more thing. Yes? Make a little effort to avoid bumping into Mr. Boynton so often, too. You know how I stand on fraternization between faculty members? Mr. Boynton and me? Why, just put it out of your mind, Mr. Conklin. That's a thing of the past. Oh, really? Of course. Why, if I were the only woman in the world and Mr. Boynton was the last man on earth... Yes, Miss Brooks? I'd like to leave a call for Tuesday. (laughs) 
you see, Mr. Boynton, although I don't like to lecture, these little visits have just got to stop. That's all there is to it. Why, Miss Brooks, I I liked your dropping into my lab like this. Well, that's the end of that lecture. Any questions? <laughs> oh, honestly, I don't see why Mr. Conklin's so strict about teachers passing the time of day once in a while. What harm does it do? Well, it does slow up our work some, I suppose. Although I haven't anything urgent to do at the moment. In fact, I was just doodling on this scratch pad. You see, it's a sketch of one of my white mice. Hey, that's very cute. How is everything with you, Mr. Boynton? Fine, Miss Brooks. No trouble on the horizon at all? That is, everything sailing along smoothly for you? Smooth as silk. Oh. Let me have that mouse you just drew mm-hmm. and that pencil. Thanks. Now, when I put this little mustache on him, who does it remind you of? Gee, I don't know. Here, I'll give you a hint. There. Well, when you put his name on it, it does look quite a bit like Mr. Conklin. (laughs) Say, that reminds me. I've got some reports to turn into him this morning. Oh, I'll do it for you. I'm going right by his office. Are you sure it's no trouble? Trouble? It's my opportunity. I mean, I'll be glad to leave these reports for you. (laughs) See you later, Mr. Boynton. All right, Miss Brooks, and thanks. Now I'd better tear up that drawing with Osgood Conklin's name on it, or he might... Well, that's funny. It disappeared. Oh, Miss Brooks, just a minute. What is it? Uh, did you happen to pick up that drawing I... Miss Brooks, what's that you're stuffing in the envelope with my reports? Please, Mr. Boynton, I never stuff. Let's see that a minute. <laughs> but, Mr. Boynton, if you don't get reports in promptly to Mr. Conklin, he gets furious. Miss Brooks, look at this picture. Eek, a mouse. <laughs> yes. And with a mustache. Now, I I wish you'd tell me what he's doing in there with my reports. Maybe there's some cheese in the envelope. (laughs) This is no laughing matter, Miss Brooks. I could have gotten into a fine jam with Mr. Conklin. Yes, it could have been a beauty. Uh, But there's no harm done, Mr. Boynton. I would have discovered it before I got to Mr. Conklin's office, and I... Well, you don't think I intentionally... Mr. Boynton, how dare you accuse me of what I just did? way over here, Miss Brooks. I just saw Mr. Boynton at the other end of the cafeteria. Well, if you must know, Harriet, I'm staying away from Mr. Boynton because of your father. Oh, Daddy won't be up to the cafeteria today. He's been terribly upset since I dented his fender yesterday. Walter Denton took the blame for it, though. He's just an angel, Miss Brooks. Yes, I heard he flew down the steps beautifully. (laughs) But ever since it happened, Daddy's been on a rampage. He's positive he's got an ulcer. Really? Can he afford one? I mean, I'm sorry to hear it. Daddy called the cafeteria a little while ago and had them prepare a special lunch for him to eat in his office. Plain broth and a whole boiled chicken. Walter's bringing the tray over from the steam table now. I promised Daddy I'd bring it right down to his office. Well, here we are, Harriet. This ought to stop the old lion from growling for his vittles. Oh, hi, Miss Brooks. Hello, Walter. Thanks, Walter. I'll rush it right down to him. Oh, just a minute, Harriet. I was just thinking. I've got to go back to my room for a minute. Why don't you stay here and eat your own lunch and let me take the tray for you? Well, well, that's very nice of you, Miss Brooks. Oh, it's nothing I... at all, Harriet. Here, give me the tray, Walter. Are you sure you'll drop it right in Daddy's office? Nothing would give me greater pleasure. <laughs> Walter, will you walk out of the cafeteria with me for a moment? Oh, sure, Miss Brooks. Excuse me, Harriet. Certainly, Walter, dear. See how nice she is to me. How are you doing, Miss Brooks? Think of any way to get Mr. Boynton into a jam? I think I've got an idea, Walter, but you've got to help me. Yeah? 
While he's out, I want you to take this tray into Mr. Boynton's laboratory. Just put a little note on it saying compliments of the cafeteria. And whatever you do, don't mention this to Harriet. Yeah, but, Miss Brooks, this lunch belongs to Mr. Quiet, Walter. His office is just a few doors down the hall. You started me on this thing. Now the least you can do is cooperate. Well, okay, Miss Brooks. I'll put it in the lab right away. I sure hope you know what you're doing. I sure hope you get your hope. Well, what is it? May I see you for a moment, Mr. Conklin? No, come in, come in. Uh, there's something I'd like to tell you, sir. Very well, but be brief. Oh, I will. I know this is your feeding time, or lunchtime. <laughs> it is past my lunchtime. Ray, I ordered should have been here a half an hour ago. Well, that's what I came in to talk to you about. It might be some sort of a prank, and although I'm not the one to go in for informing, Mr. Prank? Martin, Who took my lunch? I don't know, I'm sure. But I thought if you wanted me to, I could infect some of the laboratories, uh, classrooms, and see who the, <laughs> who the guilty party might be. A splendid suggestion, Miss Brooks. Only instead of you inspecting the classroom, I'll do it myself. Yourself? Oh, but you're not a well man, Mr. Conklin. You, you can't leave this office now. Uh, step you... aside, Miss Brooks. I'm going to locate my lunch or else. I'm glad you got to class before any of the others, Walter. I'm in the spot. Yeah, but Miss Brooks... When I had you put that lunch tray in Mr. Boynton's lab, I wanted him to see it before I transferred it to my room and told Mr. Conklin that somebody had played a prank on me. Yeah, I know, Miss Brooks, But Mr. Conklin insisted on making the rounds himself, and now... Walter, isn't that the lunch tray on my desk? Yeah, that's what I've been trying to explain, Miss Brooks. Mr. Boynton already had lunch, so when he found it in the lab, he brought it down here to your room. He said he wanted to treat you. Oh, fine. <laughs> well, there's no time for any more schemes now. I'd better sneak his lunch into Mr. Conklin's office while he's out looking. Oh, there's something else I've got to explain, Miss Brooks. Although Mr. Boynton had his lunch and I knew you'd had yours, I didn't have mine. So rather than take a chance of getting caught in the hall with it, I ate it. <laughs> Let's see it. Oh, there's nothing left but a skeleton. I've got to get rid of this tray immediately. Quick, Walter, open the window. I'll take these dishes and lower them out. Yeah. Just a moment, Miss Brooks. <laughs> What's that you're holding in your hand? For all practical purposes, my death warrant. Can <laughs> you see, Mr. Conklin? Silence! I... <laughs> Put it down on your desk, please. Thank you. So you wanted to hunt through the classrooms yourself, eh? A very clever red herring, Miss Brooks, but it just didn't work. I'll deal with you later, of course. But for now, I'll just take my lunch. And my lunch? What happened to it? This chicken is nothing but skin and bone. He's been working very hard lately. <laughs> Please, Mr. Conklin, I'll explain it all later. I'll think of something. Uh, just go to your office and relax. Why, I'll bring you a tray that'll make you feel like a million dollars. There's only one thing I want you to bring me on a tray, Miss Brooks. And that's your head. <laughs> Oh, I'm certainly glad school's over, Mr. Boynton I thought this day would never end Well, me too Mr. Conklin was in a pretty bad mood, wasn't he? I can't understand it He's got such a fine teaching staff You'd think he'd be happy Well, here's my car, Miss Brooks Uh, if you haven't made any other plans or, Well, that is, I... I thought maybe if uh, if you didn't have a ride with some other, well, uh, what would 
Would you like me to, uh... I'm already in, Mr. Boynton. <laughs> oh. oh, fine. I- I'll get in. Now, we'll just... Uh-oh. I seem to be jammed in between two cars here. Oh, it is pretty tight. Bumper to bumper. Yeah. I'll just have to start my motor and push the car in front of me a bit. Why do people persist in leaving their cars in gear? You've got enough room now, Mr. Boynton. You can stop pushing the car in front of you. I have stopped. That car's rolling by itself. Miss Brooks, what'll I do? There's nothing you can do. Maybe it'll stop by itself. It's the first time I've been right today. Come on. Oh, look at that fender, crumpled like an accordion. Well, let's see who the car belongs to. Miss Brooks, can you see the certificate on the steering wheel? Quite clearly, Mr. Boynton. It says, and I quote, Osgood Conklin. Osgood Conklin? Well, I, I guess I'll have to face the music. You, you wait right here, Miss Brooks. I'm going in and report this to Mr. Conklin. Well, that's a fine insurance company you're with, Gibbons. I'm sorry, Mr. Conklin, but our inspector looked at the fender this morning and he says the dent can be hammered out for about $40. But I don't want it hammered out. I want a new fender. What am I paying insurance premiums for? Sorry, Mr. Conklin, a new fender would cost over $150 and the dent you have doesn't justify it. Since your policy is a $50 deductible, you'll have to stand the expense yourself. Bye. But, Mr. Gibbons, I... Mr. Gibbons, I... Mr. Gibbons, Mr... He hung up on me. Well, of all the colossal nerves. Oh, pardon me, sir. What do you want, Boynton? I, uh... I wish to report an accident, sir. An automobile accident. Automobile accident? Anybody hurt? Not yet. <laughs> you see, sir, uh, uh, it was your car. My car? Yes, sir. You had me locked in at the curb, and I had to give it a little push, and the brake wasn't on, and, well, it, it didn't stop till it hit a tree. A tree? What happened to it? Oh, nothing happened to the tree, Mr. Conklin. <laughs> but your, your fender, it's, it, it's just... Smashed up pretty good, Boynton? Mangled. Really wrecked, eh? <laughs> oh, Boynton, that's wonderful. <laughs> Wonderful. You mean, you mean you're happy about it? Well, of course. I'll show that insurance company that... Wait a minute. That fender couldn't be hammered out, could it? Oh, definitely not. boy, boy! <laughs> oh, I won't forget this, my boy. You've done me a real turn. Don't you see? I had a little dent in the fender, but the insurance company wouldn't replace it. But now they'll have to. Do you hear me? They'll have to. <laughs> wait, wait. Mr. Conklin, you're barking at the wrong tree. I mean, I alone am responsible for what just happened to your car. You? But Mr. Boynton's... Never mind what Mr. Boynton said. Uh, Now, see here, Miss Brooks. There's no necessity for you to go... Ixnay, Mr. Boynton, I'll handle this. No, Mr. Conklin, I know you're angry at me as it is, but I cannot let an innocent person try to shield me. You can go now, Mr. Boynton. Leave here a free man. But, Miss Brooks... You you can thank me some other time. Tonight, say. (laughs) But I, I, I don't understand. 
Why are you trying to take credit for this, Boynton? Credit? Credit? Look, Mr. Conklin, I don't understand a lot of things that have happened here today, so if you'll excuse me, I'll take Miss Brooks' suggestion and then leave here a free man. But, Mr. Boynton, I don't... Now, what's the matter with him? What difference does it make who did what, as long as I'm pleased? Miss Brooks, you have no idea what you've just done for me. You're so right. And you, Mr. Conklin, have no idea what I have just done for me. But I told you I'm not angry. Why are you still up a tree? If an English teacher may correct a principle, Mr. Conklin, it isn't a tree that I'm up. What I'm up, and without a paddle, is a creek. And now, once again, here is our Miss Brooks. Well, I corralled Mr. Boynton before he got into his car again and explained that I thought he was in trouble and was merely coming to his rescue. Well, I'm afraid I don't approve such heroics, Miss Brooks. You see, I've always liked to stand on my own two feet. It's a trait I inherited from my father. Really? Yes, Miss Brooks. I've gotten where I am today without the help of any woman. I'm rather proud of that, and so is my father. Mr. Boynton, could I have his address? His address? What for, Miss Brooks? I want to send your father a card on Mother's Day. <laughs> Next week, turn into another Our Miss Brooks show, brought to you by Mustard Green Shampoo for soft, glamorous, caressable hair and Colgate Dental Cream to clean your breath while you clean your teeth and help stop tooth decay. Our Miss Brooks, starring Eve Arden, is produced by Larry Burns, directed by Al Lewis, with music by Wilbur Hatch. <laughs> For mystery liberally sprinkled with laughs, listen to Mr. and Mrs. North, Tuesday evening over most of these same stations. And be with us again next week at the same time for another comedy episode of Our Miss Brooks. Bob Lamont speaking. This is CBS, the Columbia Broadcasting System. Thank you for listening. I hope you'll be with me next week when I uncover more gems from the golden age of radio. Thanks to Joel Schoenwell and Paul Stringer for technical support. The executive producer for Theater of the Mind is Moses Neimer. I'm Frank Proctor. Have a wonderful weekend. This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show.